Welcome to Kingdom Currents. I'm Glenn Schultz, your host, and today I'm talking with Mrs. Susan Leonard about today's worldview crisis. We live in a mixed up world and are witnessing things we never thought possible a mere five years ago. A lot of what we see in culture is because of a worldview crisis. So I'm excited to have Susan Leonard on today's program to talk about this crisis. Susan, welcome to Kingdom Currents. Thank you, Glenn. It's, I'm just honored to be here today. Thank you. As we get started, um, share a little bit about your salvation testimony when you came to know the Lord. Uh, yeah, so uh, I came to Christ right after I was married. I was raised a secular humanist, went to public and private uh, non-religious schools. Um, I asked questions as a young person and no one could answer them. Questions such as, why are we here? What happens when I die? Why is there evil? Um, Paul Gould has said, everyone is a philosopher. Anyone who asks questions and seeks answers is a philosopher. And the question is not, will we engage in philosophy, but whether we will be a good philosopher or a bad one. Philosophy is not taught in schools, and I was a bad one. And by the time I was 31 years old, I hit a wall, um, and then Jesus showed up. Uh, it's a fascinating story, but the short version is that I went to sleep one night not knowing who Jesus is and woke up the next day only to tell my husband of two months that we needed to go to a church, that it was a matter of life and death. And so he took me to a Unitarian Universalist church the following Sunday, and within 10 minutes, Glenn, I stood up and said, we need to leave. We got to our car and my husband um, asked, why, why did we just leave? And I said, this church doesn't talk about Jesus Christ. Those two words, Jesus Christ, had never come out of my mouth before. Talk about uh, a husband wondering, um, who, who did I marry? <laughs> um, so that story is riveting. But, um, and, and what I came to find, though, is that it hung over my head, that experience, sort of like an idol for years. And here's why. You know, it was in my mind, and I needed it to match reality to be true. Um, you know this, uh, what philosophers call the correspondence theory, that our belief matches reality, and then it's a true belief. Um, I didn't know this. And for years, I kept trying to tell my story and find well, ways to tell it. And I fell short. For example, when I began to teach at a Christian school, I found myself laboring to convince my students the Bible is true, but I couldn't tell my story because if I did, it was as if I said to students, believe the Bible because I had this experience and, oh yeah, you didn't, but trust me. Um, and that just seemed unkind. Um, J. Warner Wallace in Forensic Faith is known for saying we need to move from accidental belief to evidential trust. And he's right. We need to be able to say what we believe and why. When, when, when you went into profession, you didn't start out in, in teaching. You were actually uh, had some uh, positions in a White House. Tell, tell me a little bit of that experience. Yeah, which uh, is, is a little. Uh, I, went, I grew up, I wanted to be a journalist. I was born in Washington, D.C., heavily influenced by the media there. My father grew up on Capitol Hill, my mom right outside the district. Um, like many people, my father worked in the government and he subscribed to three daily newspapers and at least two dozen magazines on news and culture. 
And so I grew up in D.C. and I watched the Today Show every morning. And, you know, I didn't go to church. We were not religious, but we are created to worship something. Um, and so I worshiped Jane Pauley. I wanted to work in television news and travel the world and follow ideas. Um, I was searching for something, but I didn't know what. And I think I thought if I worked in and traveled the world, the world would answer my questions. Um, I knew I didn't learn anything of value or true knowledge in school, though at the time I didn't know what knowledge is or entails, but I knew I lacked it. And so my answer was to find the right experiences. I was working with Channel 9 at a local TV station, and one day our crew went to the White House in the old executive office building to do a story. Um, I dipped into an office uh, and said, how do I get a job here? Um, long story, but I ended up working then in the office of News Summary uh, and later the office of Media Affairs for Press Secretary Marlon Fitzwater. Um, and later I went on to work at the National Republican Congressional Committee where our small team flipped the house in 1994 for the first time in 50 years. Worked for Bill Paxson, Newt Gingrich, and a couple of the others. Um, but that's where I met my husband. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. You know, you, you mentioned a couple times now the whole concept of ideas. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you, you were searching for ideas, you had ideas, you, you wanted to expand those ideas. You didn't know at the time that you were talking about worldview, I take it. No, I had no idea. And I didn't know what world, I don't think I'd ever even heard the word worldview. Um, so, no, I had no idea. You know, but but ideas are what captivate us and form our culture. And and mm -hmm. so uh, th that's something we, we've really got to give more attention to. As you said, no one answered your questions when you were looking for answers to your questions and ideas. Uh, the church didn't even have those answers. Uh, what, what changed after you became a Christian as far as how you looked at life? And what was the cause for you to really dig in and eventually get into worldview studies? Yeah, this is such a great question. I was just talking to this about uh, with my students two days ago. Um, and I told them the primary thing that changed for me, uh, Glenn, was my understanding of evil. Um, all of my life, I didn't understand why bad things happened to good people. Uh, in college, things started to go south for me, I believe, because I was having an intellectual crisis, as you mentioned, and we talked about before. I had questions and nobody could answer them. Um, and so I bought Harold Kushner's book by uh, that same title, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Um, I flew to Florida to visit my grandparents, sat on a beach and read the whole book in one sitting. Um, I don't remember, but I probably got pretty sunburned. Um, I was really struggling. You know, I lived my entire life ignoring bad things, but you can't do that. You can't just make yourself numb to reality, which is what I think a lot of people, young people are doing today. Evil is real and it exists and life demands that we look at it for what it is and ask why, what it is, where does it come from and will it end? And as I tell my students, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that has the answer to the problem of evil. The existence, uh, the existence of evil itself is proof of God's existence. And all of the dominant worldviews, whether they be Islam, new spirituality, postmodernism, Marxism, secularism, um, don't answer the question of evil. Secularism believes all people are good, which is what I believed. 
And that's a fundamental flaw. Uh, Jesus, as you know, said, why do you call me good? There's no one who is good except my father in heaven. Um, as Clay Jones says, one of my professors at Biola and the author of Why Does God Allow Evil uh, says, the question isn't why does God allow evil, but why does God allow humans? Um, and this is, this is essential to understanding the Christian worldview. And it changed how I looked at everything. I mean, two kingdoms are in conflict the present evil age and the age to come and our victory over evil and the enemy is dependent on one thing. And that's our union with Christ. You know, and, and I, I think a lot of students, young people really struggle, especially when they look at the world today, you know, and, and think of evil. And sometimes they push it on Christians like, well, you know, how, how can a good God allow evil? But we're the only ones that really do have the answer that it comes from our sin. And therefore, God is the answer. You can't have evil if there's not good. Uh, you, you have really dug into worldview and even became a, a Colson fellow. Um, what did that experience bring to you as a, a Christian, but as a teacher also? So one of the things I like to say is, is if we're going to train, if we're going to train Christian scholars, then we need scholars to do it. Uh, and that begins with each one of us. Um, Nancy Piercy says training young people to develop a Christian mind is no longer an option. It's part of the necessary survival equipment, just like you were saying. So I applied to the Colson Fellows Program, and it's kind of a long story, but but briefly, I, I, I'd love to share this. You know, I, I think a lot of people had this have this experience or, or have had it. I was listening to the news and I was thinking, this doesn't sound like the news anymore. Um, it was about 2017 and I, I started to notice this shift. And as a news junkie, it was a hard decision, but I decided to turn off the news and listen to C-SPAN. And the reason why I did that is I wanted the news unfiltered. I wanted to be able to think for myself. And so I listened to C-SPAN radio on the way to work, turned on at home. But then I noticed another shift. The language started to change. Words took on new meanings. There were no clear divisions anymore, no neat categories of maybe the right or the left and politically speaking, and no way to organize ideas. There's that word again. And I got confused. So here I am as a former political appointee in the White House and now a Christian educator, and I'm struggling to make sense of the world around me. And so I decided to apply to the program. And while I was in the program, I'm teaching students at the same time and seeing a third shift this time in my students. My students asked tough questions and I started to keep lists of their questions and I studied them and I looked up their answers online and I watched um, probably actually hundreds of Sean McDowell videos <laughs> uh, for quick answers to tough questions. You know, he's, he's an apologetics machine and such yes. a resource for Christian educators. And so I started to equip myself, but I kept thinking there was something else. And um, that's when I applied to, there was something else that I needed to learn. And that's why I applied to the Biola uh, apologetics program. And you just completed your master's. I did. I just completed my master's. Thank you. I did that for two. I appreciate that. I did that for the last two years full time while I was teaching high school Bible. So that was not easy. Um, but uh, but probably I would say it's the best experience, I, you know, next to getting married, having children. It was the best experience of my life. You know, you mentioned the idea of the change in meaning of words. 
Uh, mm -hmm. th this is one of my pet peeves that we use words, even words out of scripture and never define them. And mm -hmm. uh, so, and, and then we, therefore we don't communicate <laughs> because we think the listener is defining the words the way we are. And yet they're probably defining it some way different. And so that that's one of my focus in a kingdom summits and other things that I do. I try to define words uh, clearly so that we have dialogue and can have understanding when we try to teach these young people. But there used to be rules to language, but there aren't any anymore. <laughs> and and exactly. so it, it is important for us to know truth, but to be able to define it and make sure we get our points across. When did you first get introduced to kingdom education? I'm always curious about that. Yeah, so um, a donor um, sent uh, 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 money to our school uh, to send two uh educators or administrators to Plano, Texas, to the Kingdom School Institute um, to learn what it means to be a kingdom school. Um, and I met you there, Glenn. Uh, and uh, I remember Larry, T I remember one thing Larry Taylor said, I'll never forget it. He said, the one thing that changed his school was partnership with parents. I, I still can see him on that say stage and saying that. Um, and it's one of your essential principles of your biblical philosophy of education, that the education of children and youth is the primary responsibility of parents, a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week process that continues from birth till maturity. Um, and that changed me as an educator. I, I, I became more deliberate with my communication to parents. Um, I became more deliberate with my email communications. I uh, for assessments, for just partnering with parents in the faith development of their child. Um, and I don't know if you realize this, but when I first listened to you speak, I went up to introduce myself to you afterwards, and I was waiting in line behind a few other educators, and I noticed we were wearing the exact same outfit, a white button shirt <laughs> and black pants. And I thought, this is strangely interesting. And as I stood there in line, I thought, I have a notion that I'm going to be working with this man. And here we are now, how many years later, later? like maybe five. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and here we are, Glenn. Well, you know, um, it, it is so important to understand that parents have to take on that God-given responsibility. But I would, I would dare say you, you're, you face a problem with that in Christian schools even. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, are you, I, I guess, are you, are you thinking about some of the emails that I sent to <laughs> this yeah, what, all talking about the secularism what, and the growing where secularism? This, where do you see the state of parenting uh, when it comes to Christian schools? Well, hmm, I, I think I see generally in terms of Christian schools concerns that I have is just the rise in secularism, secularism generally. Uh, in our students and families. And I would say uh, uh, Christian schools, in fact, we as well may be contributing to it. Um, and those are two issues that I hope to address at your summit um, in the next couple of weeks uh, in Florida and Arizona. Um, you know, 
but I, but for me, I, I, I do want to say this, you know, I want to, I want to go back a minute and say what I think is at work here. I think there's an underlying philosophy and this is where my work uh, comes in. And I think it's one thing to say that there's growing secularism in our, we know there is, um, but, but I really want to tease back this idea a little bit. Where does, what are the underlying philosophies? You know, what are the um, assumptions that are being made? And I, and I find that it's, that the students are reflecting a worldview that is um, a worldview that is too small. And I think we find the same thing in our parents. Um, and what I mean by that is, and we've talked about this, is the divide and truth, the fact value split. Um, and the fact value split in the divide and truth can be difficult to talk about. It can sound, you know, kind of academic. Um, it can sound like it's sort of out there, a little abstract. Um, but, it, you know, Piercy says it's crucial for us to understand that all non-believers are constantly filtering what we say through this fact value grid. Um, and, you know, what this grid has done essentially is instead of looking at the Bible as a whole truth about reality, it's taken religion completely out of the realm of true and false altogether. And I think that's the easiest way to explain it, or at least a beginning, you know, introductory way to explain it. That suddenly it's not, you know, my students would say when we study worldviews, is this good, Mrs. Leonard, or bad? And I'd have to correct them and say, ideas are not good and bad. Ideas are true or false, um, you know, and they're, so they're reflected or reflecting emotivism, which is another philosophy that's behind the fact value split. And so our students and our parents, to bring it back to your question, are essentially reflecting a worldview where we believe that religion is private, that's, that it's something that I believe to be my own belief system. It's private. It's not public. And it's my personal opinion. And that facts are things like we can prove through science or, you know, what we can see with our or perceive with our senses. Um, and so what we've done is we've, we've essentially created bifurcated lives where we go to church on Sunday and then we go back into the world on Monday and our lives are really sort of divorced. We've divorced this in our minds. And so we have this bifurcated understanding of truth. And it's reflected, I believe, not only does it come out as secularism from our students, but I think it's such an internal conflict. I really believe this is what's going on in our society generally in terms of, you know, the increase in nihilism, lack of meaning and purpose, um, students that are depressed. Um, we're not teaching this. We're not teaching that the Bible is a whole truth about reality and is that gives us content and true knowledge about reality so that students can live fully orbed Christian worldview lives where they're truly experiencing the richness of what it means to be a Christian. And we've just lost that. Yeah, when, you, when I go back and even study Horace Mann, who started the common school system, uh, he, he didn't really state this per se, but his whole philosophy was, let the home and church teach faith and values and the school will teach facts. Uh, Ken Ham in his one book, uh, he, he said that when he looked at and studied those people who had left the church, uh, they said, well, well, we went to church for Bible stories, but we went to school for facts. And, and so 
we, we do have this concept. I, I call it dualism. Uh, and, and it is where we think there is a body of knowledge that's neutral. And, and even Christian parents, they can send their kids to a secular school because all they're getting are academics and we're getting the faith and values and home and church. And they don't realize every bit of teaching is done within the context of some worldview. You cannot hide your belief system as you teach. It's going to come out and the kids are going to become like the teacher. That's what, you know, uh, it says in Luke. Uh, when, when, when you're in the Christian school and you're teaching, here you are, Bible teacher, where do you see students are? Uh, when it comes to seeing scripture as and Christianity as a whole, complete worldview. Well, that's right. And I think as a Bible teacher, one of the things that I came to find was I realized when I looked at students and saw that I, I knew there was some sort of a wall there. There was something that I couldn't sort of tease out. I couldn't understand why is it that what I'm saying is not necessarily what they're hearing. And that's this divide in truth. You know, it's, it's the fact value split is endemic in Western society. But it essentially means in plain language, it's as if I'm going in to be a Bible teacher into a Bible classroom and holding up maybe mint chocolate chip ice cream and Rocky Road and trying to prove to them that mint chocolate chip ice cream is better than Rocky Road. And we're, we're just never going to get anywhere because they're just going to listen to me and say, well, that's your personal preference. She likes, Mrs. Leonard likes, you know, mint chocolate chip ice cream. You do you. They do what they need to do to get the grade. They leave and then they go to the next class. And it's no different than the class that they just had, other than the fact that now they're going to a class that teaches facts. And so, um, you know, that's a real, I can't, when I came to understand that, that liberated me as a teacher because I understood then that suddenly I needed to begin to do something differently. I needed to actually teach what is truth. How do we know? What is knowledge? And to me, to me, the game right now, right, right now is metaphysics and epistemology. And that's where we have to go. We have to teach students what is real, what is true reality, and how do we know? Um, let me give you a couple of examples, if I could. Um, about uh, we started to teach Summit Ministries understanding the times, and I've shared some of this with you. Um, let me give you some examples so your listeners can hear exactly what it sounds like when you hear the fact value split um, in students and how they're responding to this material. So, um, so we we adopted understanding the times, um, and um, students uh, started to say things like this. Excellent research, by the way, helps students to learn that worldviews are a pattern of ideas, helps them to see the world in patterns, to make sense of it, and how to respond to these ideas with reasonable arguments, and ultimately to move them from accidental belief to evidential truth. Mm -hmm. But I got I got a lot of kickback. I got quite I got statements like this, Mrs. Leonard. This this book is a Christian textbook. Why are we using it? This is a Christian school. Here's in another Bible one. class. <laughs> in a Bible class. Now that one floored me. That was the first, I, I have to say that a lot of this threw me. I mean, JP Moreland, I'm reminded, he says, you know, when you teach truth, it's like teeing off a golf ball in a shower. It comes back at you. And I say, no, when I, when I started to teach Summit Ministries to my students, it wasn't like teeing off golf ball in a shower. It was like teeing off three and they came back at me in the classroom. Um, and I got hit hard, knocked out. Here was another one. Um, we used to go to Bible classes at school and listen to the Bible teacher and think, 
That's their opinion. Now with this textbook, we can't argue with it. Here's another one. We used to go to Bible class and the teacher told us what they believed and we could disagree, but this textbook doesn't let us disagree. Um, why are we saying the Christian worldview is the only worldview that is true? And then how about this one? Who gets to determine what is truth anyway? Um, so I kept a journal of these, but this is really fascinating to me because if you actually, when I first heard these, I think you remember, I emailed my professors at Biola, a big you know, a group email. I think I included you in that and said, look at this, look what I'm seeing. I don't know, Glenn, if I, um, I did, I wouldn't, I, I, I couldn't believe that it could, that it could be true at a Christian school. I didn't know if I thought maybe somehow Christian schools were immune. And so it was a little bit hard for me to come to this realization, but it was very important um, for me to do that. And so I took notes, I kept a journal and I started to, I'd come back every day. I'd look at their questions and look at this. When you see this question or this comment that they say, this textbook doesn't let us disagree. That means to them, a Christian textbook can't be fact. They're saying that this textbook can't be fact. It can only be really on the value side, meaning what's, what we value. It can only be personal opinion. Or if you see this textbook just sounds like they think they're right and everyone else is wrong. What students are saying is they believe that objective truth, fact, is learned in science class and that Bible class is opinion or what the teacher values. So when I really began to, to look at their comments and not just react, but to tease them out and to see what the philosophy was behind it, I came to see they're hearing us in Bible class through the grid or the gatekeeper of this fact value truth divide. So they don't hear it um, the way we think we're, we're presenting it. And this is really critical. Nancy Piercy has done work on this at the uh, undergraduate and uh, 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 graduate level. But we really need to start uh, looking at this at the K through 12 level. Well, you know, she says, you know, it's a familiar but tragic story. You know, the, you, we, we raise students in Christian schools and I'll just finish that. You know, and like you said, we teach them stories, right? We mm -hmm. Bible stories. Right. And then we wonder why they leave in droves. We wonder why they leave in college. And that's because not only are we teaching stories, but they're hearing it, I believe, through this grid. They're not hearing it as the fact that religion can have actually content. And God has something to say. The creator of reality has something to say about reality. Well, and, and it gets even bigger and a bigger problem. I, I've watched in Christian schools for years now this pressure for teachers to integrate Bible in all their classes and all their lessons. But what has happened, we're asking them to do something that they're not equipped to do because they don't have a biblical worldview. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and if you don't, my whole process is a biblical worldview is what allows you to build a biblical philosophy of education. And those two together allow you to integrate biblical worldview truth into all subjects. So we're asking them to do the final piece they don't even have the first piece in. And I, even with the summits coming up and things like this, I, I get so frustrated because Christian schools will not invest in training 
on biblical worldview and biblical philosophy of education, they'll they'll invest thousands of dollars in instructional strategies and how to use technology and STEM and everything else. And therefore we we keep perpetuating this fact value split. Uh, I've even told pastors, I said, when they said, well, I, I'm not a victim of dualism. I, I think biblically, I said, well, would you allow what your students at your church are being taught in school all week? Would you allow that to be taught in your church? And they'd say, well, no. <laughs> and I said, but yet you will support them and encourage them to go into secular schools and be brainwashed. So, so we, we've got a lot of awakening to do of the adult body of Christ. Would you not agree? Absolutely. And, you know, ideas uh, um, spread like viruses. You know, we catch them. They're invisible. We catch ideas like we catch a cold. Um, and these ideas form our beliefs. And these beliefs uh, uh, impact our behavior and form our worldview. And we often don't, you know, I think Bill Brown uh, of the Colson Center would say one of our biggest problems in worldview study is neglect, that we need to simply just think about, just take the time to uh, examine uh, how we're being influenced by ideas. Let me, let me give you an example. These are a couple from secular textbooks. You, you made me think about this. Um, you know, we have AP classes in our Christian schools. And, and they have a lot of these AP class have these textbooks, you know, human, hu from human anatomy and physiology and honor science class. Listen to this quote. Perhaps after reading this chapter, you have a greater sense of wonder that you turned out as well as you did. Um, you know, when I read that, I mean, that's that's just one sentence, but that's part and parcel of the entire worldview of that textbook. And you can see the split in truth. Wonder is in this sort of uh, useful fiction, but facts are in the lower. The, the facts being that they're being taught that they're just, they turned out as organisms, sort of mere accidents of nature, as, a, as opposed to I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, there's another textbook, Honors Biology Class. As the great genet geneticist Theodosius Dobzhansky once said, nothing in biology makes sense except in light of evolution. Well, you know, so our students are reading that. Um, if we're not trained in worldview and apologetics, we don't know that we can then say to students, okay, so wait a minute, Darwin's theory doesn't explain the first cell or how amino acids arose in the Earth's atmosphere. We won't be exposed as much, or maybe, to Dr. Stephen Myers and, and things that he's, the work that he's done. You know, he says the discoveries we've made that are relevant to understanding the origin of life and the universe itself have theistic implications. God is not only a possible explanatory hypothesis, but the best explanation of the evidence we have. Our students aren't hearing that. And they're not going to hear that when they go to science class. And then they're going to go to Bible class and hear Bible stories. And so that's what the student is doing. One of the top questions students ask me, and it struck me as odd at first, is how are we different than animals? And then I started to look at their human anatomy textbook and I see this, like all complex animals, it says, humans manifest their boundaries, move, respond to environmental changes, take in and digest nutrients, carry out metabolism, dispose of wastes, reproduce themselves and grow. I mean, how meek, how, how, well, how, how depressing. I mean, we're just machines. Well, and, um, and what happens, and this is the sad part, 
the teachers today have not been trained in how to discern those false ideologies that are in textbooks. So a lot of those statements they read, and, and in their dualistic mind, it makes sense. And therefore, they don't bring in biblical truth to counteract what these kids are, are reading and hearing. Well, and I, well, and I do believe, I know you want to wrap, but I do believe that that's true. And our teachers actually believe that. In fact, I had, I experienced some of that kickback a little bit at my own school. I had students that were truly believed um, when, when we started with Summit Ministries, about halfway through the year, I noticed there was opposition. And I said to the students, all right, we're going to do a debrief. What's going on with this curriculum? What's going on with Summit Ministries? This, this, one of the top comments from students was this, what makes Jeff Myers an expert? Well, with that, I went over to the biology textbook and I picked it up and I said, okay, and it was written by Stephen Nowicki. And I said, what makes Stephen Nowicki an expert? And so I held up the biology textbook on one side and held up Summit Ministries on the other and said, what's the difference? And I mean, that right there is the fact value divide. Right. Well, they told me that, well, Stephen Nowicki, well, that's a science textbook. Well, I think, and I believe, and, and teachers have told me this, they believe the same thing. You know, that's a science textbook. So somehow that, that has preserved that, that space of, we don't need to question that textbook. We need to question the religious textbook. And, and you know, we, we can go on because there's so much. But uh, again, yes. what I hope our listeners are hearing is that we as adult members of the body of Christ must give attention to how we think. And we've got to go and not just know the definitions of worldview and everything, we've got to actually develop a biblical worldview. And that's only going to come as we spend time in scripture. That has to be our major focus. Susan, I want to thank you for being on Kingdom Currents. We've got to do this again and keep going deeper. Yes. And uh, I, I pray that, uh, you know, over the summer, you just immense your, immerse yourself in more biblical worldview uh, training, because we've got to go and reach this next generation for Christ. So I want to thank people for tuning in to Kingdom Currents. Uh, for more information on uh, my resources, please feel free to go to kingdomeducationministries.com. And until next time, just go and dig into the word and develop your biblical worldviews. <laughs>